Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hey there, we are finally back. I took a hiatus over the summer, partly because I didn't have any guests lined up, and then I didn't want to throw replays at you for several months. And partly I was working on a couple of other projects, one of which is a new podcast you might be interested in. I will tell you about that at the end of this episode. So yesterday, someone actually called me and said, are you gone for good or are you just taking a break? And I'm happy to report it was just a break. Thank you so much for your patience and for coming back to listen again. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Chris Barnett is the CEO of All Good Marketing in Akron, Ohio. Fun fact, the town where I was born, and also an adjunct professor of marketing at Kent State University. The other thing we have in common is we both have worked for Thermo Fisher in the past. So, Chris, welcome to the restart of Life Science Marketing Radio. Hey, Chris, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm excited to get back at this. I kind of took the summer off after doing a hundred and some episodes and worked on another project, but uh, I've got some good episodes lined up starting with this one. So today we're going to talk about lead generation, but also about understanding customers. So we're going to start off with this one. No scientist needs a coloring book, but apparently a lot of them want one. You did a successful campaign around this when you were at Thermo Fisher. What was the goal of that whole thing? What were you marketing and and how did you come up with this idea? So yeah, the audience for this campaign were academic and industrial scientists uh, working in the fields of molecular biology, cell biology, chemistry. When I came up with the idea for this program, I wasn't even working for the uh, uh, life sciences group at Thermo Fisher. In fact, I was still officially working for the analytical instruments division, where I was a MARCOM manager for radiation safety and monitoring instruments in Cleveland, Ohio. But I had, uh, after five years in that role, I uh, had the opportunity to go out west and work for the LSG group. And before my start date, they were holding their annual uh, marketing global planning workshop in Eugene. So I was still in radiation and went out there to meet my new team for the first time and learned a lot about some of the things that are important in marketing to uh, life sciences products, to scientists, which are quite a lot different than our nuclear physicists and safety and homeland security people in the radiation segment. But yeah. <laughs> a lot different. But one of the things that I learned is the importance of that top of mind awareness and how much effort they put into making sure that people are engaged with the product so that when it comes time to fulfill consumables and microscopy like imaging reagents and that, that they think of Thermo Fisher first, obviously. You want to be in that consideration set. So when I went out there to participate in this group, my superiors there, my, t- my new team there, they were kind enough to put me on some of the, the programs or, or working on ideas for programs that weren't as, that I could do at kind of coming in as a noob. So 
one of the things that I learned was the uh, importance of earning and maintaining that top spot within the consideration set, increasing awareness and engagement of cell imaging reagents and that type of thing, and increasing the footprint of the in vitro gen scientific cell imaging brand in that, as well as updating their contact database and, and um, their lead generation campaigns. So I'm kind of involved a lot in pop culture. And at that time, those adult coloring books were a big thing that people could color and kind of meditate, chill out and relax. And I thought, how fun would it be to take these beautiful cell images and reimagine them as uh, color coloring book pages and then make those available as a lead generation tool through web form or something like that. So that or through a web form or through direct contact from our um, sales representatives and that type of thing. I proposed that plan like first or second day and the response to that idea was overwhelmingly positive, although it was something that they had never tried. So it was a little bit risky, you know? So when you're yeah. trying an out of the box idea like that, it's like, oh, wow, we've never done anything like that. Should we do it? And fortunately, my boss is, was daring enough. Shout out to Melissa Stolo. And she thought, let's do this. And uh, so I began putting this this together where we would create a 30 page coloring book with image cell images uh, inspired by submissions crowdsourced submissions from scientists all around the world and um, once they submitted those images we would have them illustrated into a coloring book make it available through a gated web page so i'm going to back up a little bit so you used a phrase in there that i completely understand but has probably never been used on this podcast and that is consideration set so i know what you're talking about but i describe that a little bit for people who I, I think people all know but maybe we don't think about it enough like what, sure. what we're trying to do yeah uh just through the consumer buying process when you identify that you have a need for instance a need for new cell imaging reagents you have a set of, of solutions in your mind that will do the trick to solve that challenge that you have or fulfill the need that you have. All of those brands and all of those products that are top of mind are the ones that you'll choose from unless you decide to do additional research to find something better or something that solves the problem in, in a better way or, or something more unique to your situation. So buying something, it's always that balance between fulfilling the, the, the need that you have against the amount of effort it takes you to research what, what you need to fulfill that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that makes perfect sense. Uh, so we're just narrowing down our choices. You're finding out, all right, here's two or three or four solutions that might work for me. I'm going to continue to go deeper on those, but everybody else is out. And your goal in this whole program is to make sure that Thermo is in with the coloring book. Exactly. In that consideration set and at the top of that consideration set. Right. So apparently that was a pretty successful campaign. You don't have to talk about the details of that. You can but tell us a little bit about how it did relative to expectations. I'm kind of chuckling inside because you said, uh, you know, First of all, you're new at the company. You come up with this idea. Everybody says, let's go. And in the back of my head, I'm imagining some episode of The Office where they're all thinking, well, if it fails, he just got here. We can kick him <laughs> out, right? Right. So, um, 
Uh, so tell us about how it did relative to expectations and why you think it worked out that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you say that because, you know, really at the beginning, it was considered one of those quirky little programs that the new guy was working on. But ultimately, it was recognized by Thermo Fisher as the best outside the box marketing program on a global level. So yeah, it, it really evolved into something really, uh, really positive. But so the, the program itself was a two-step program. One was um, to, uh, to acquire the images. We had an online contest to crowdsource that scientific imagery from uh, labs all around the world and, and have people send us their best or their favorite cell images that they, that they created. Then we were to take those images, we took those images, and we illustrated them into the 30-page book. And then we made that uh, giveaway through a gated web page, obviously, so we could uh, capture those contacts and filter them for leads based on some of the questions we asked on on the um, uh, on the web form regarding their buying intent. We set a, a goal, a benchmark goal, which would uh, was kind of like the you know if if we hit this, this program is successful. Say that uh, that was. A benchmark like n thousand um, uh, completed web forms, uh, which after fixed and variable costs would yield a cost per contact that everyone would be happy with. We ended up after a year surpassing that goal almost four times. So it was very successful from that standpoint. And then because of the economies of scale, the actual cost per lead was reduced by almost half of what we would. Had con- what we had considered at the beginning um, an acceptable uh, amount for that lead, uh, an acceptable cost for that lead. So it turned out to be really successful in acquiring new contacts as well as contacts, information we could update existing contacts in our marketing database or our lead database. And um, it, it generated a ton of online activity because it was so visual in nature and we, we made the web a big part of uh, how we promoted it and acquired images and had people get involved in coloring pages and submitting them online under the beautiful science hashtag. It turned out to be really, really successful. I think ultimately after a year, we had, a, we had gotten over somewhere around 2.5 million impressions and engagement of about 20,000. So here's what is really cool about this idea, and I don't know how people might translate it to something else, but first of all, the production of this thing, and by that I mean the outsourcing of the images, that's marketing right there. Hey, we're doing this thing. So you find out a bunch of people who are in the business of making images. Then... There's the people who ask for the coloring book. That's the second wave of contacts, right? Right. And and I suppose once they've asked for it, the the following is a subset of those. But now people are sending in their their colored images. (laughs) Right. They're sharing. And they're so, it just kind of keeps itself alive for longer than you can imagine many campaigns do because there's a pretty long process to making all that happen. Yeah, absolutely. But because of the imagery, the beautiful fluorescent images that you see in cell imaging, it was a natural fit for social media. 
because social media is such a visually engaging medium and scientists are are proud of their work. I know in some of the uh, ethnographic research that I had done at uh, different uh, laboratories like Northwestern or Oregon State, um, uh, Oregon Health and Scientific um, Science University, that there was always one person in the lab who was known for their excellent, their beautiful cell images. And you could find them in the, in the laboratories because they were the ones with all the images posted in their cubicle all around their, uh, their equipment, their laboratory equipment. And they were really proud of that work. So when you get these scientists online and they're sharing these images, it's, it's a natural fit because it's, it, it serves them um, and their um, appreciation for, for a good quality cell image. And people in the laboratory support that because they recognize that person in their laboratory as having that. So they're socializing online and sharing the images as well. So it, it was, uh, it, it just worked out really well. It was a good, good fit for social media. That's pretty clear. And, you know, a number of, so we've had uh, Johannes Amon on here a couple of times. He's talked about social media. He came from Zeiss and, of course, a microscopy company. And you know, visual and cell biology, visual images from cell biology are kind of primo, as you just said, for, for social media. Um, as, you know, is always the case with social media. I mean, images do way better than text. So that was great. And then, but um, you also told me that in addition to this success, you presented to your team's annual meeting the results of another campaign that failed. So I hate to end on a bummer, but <laughs> describe that one for us. Right. Now we all learn from our mistakes. And, you know, fortunately, um, when you have uh, leadership that appreciates uh, risk-taking, you have those opportunities to learn from, from those type of, of mistakes. An idea that may sound good and may even test well in the research or the preliminary research that you're doing, that doesn't always work out and, and you learn from that. So yeah, we had a meeting, it was our annual team meeting where we talked about the programs that we had done, uh, shared the programs we had done in the previous year. And my boss asked if I would be interested in sharing this one that failed and I was, said, absolutely, it's a great idea. And the program that I put together was called Poster. It was a poster program. And in meeting with researchers in the lab, scientists in the lab, they all love getting posters and hanging them up and displaying them in, the, in their labs. But the, the posters that they would get from different um, 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 product providers or, or equipment providers or different uh, companies that they worked with, um, was that they were boring. They were stale, they were boring, or many of them weren't giving them out anymore. And there was a bit of disappointment in that. So I thought, what if we were to pair up a, a scientist, a, a researcher who has some really exciting published research with a gig poster artist? Now, gig poster artists are people who design those posters like for bands, concert promotions and stuff that they could sell at their merch tables. like you know, the Black Keys or Iron Maiden or Adamant, or I just saw Adamant this weekend, so that's yeah. top of mind. <laughs> it could, it, that dates me, right? But this idea of setting up a researcher with a gig poster artist to design something really creative, really colorful, to bring that research that they've, that they've done to life in a way that hadn't been done before. And then 
And in presenting that idea to people in the laboratory, they loved it. They wanted something like that. So I worked with um, a researcher out of um, Oregon State University who was doing works on uh, work with zebrafish uh, and uh, hearing defects, um, people who were born with hearing defects, and helping to rebuild some of the, those cells. And I don't understand all the, the, the technology behind it, but paired this research up, Paroma Chatterjee, with gig poster artists in Portland uh, by the name of Guy Burwell, who's done posters for everybody. And it worked out really well. We were able to, to meet several times and collaborate. And he produced this poster that was extraordinarily beautiful, extraordinarily colorful, using the palette of uh, uh, Alexa Floor dyes, the colors for her dyes. And anybody that we showed the image to was really excited about it. And then when I took it to the labs and asked the scientists, you know, the researchers, what, how they would use that or what they thought of it, they, they weren't interested. They said it was a beautiful image, but what is it? Otoferlin deficiency in zebrafish was nothing that, that ha had nothing to do with the work that they were doing. And other than a beautiful image, it didn't really relate to them. So uh, as a result, that program didn't roll out so we, we didn't roll out that program just because it wasn't necessarily that subject matter wasn't relevant to the people in, in the laboratories. Right. Now, so, you've seen the image. I have, and it is beautiful. It is really cool. I mean, and but I completely understand. Like, it's too specific. Usually, we talk about specificity as being a, a plus in marketing. But when you go down to the level of the individual experiment, this is my challenge as a scientist, period. You get down to the level of the individual experience, you can't tell it. Nobody knows what you're doing but you, right? Exactly. So, exactly. Um, I think something like that, though, could work on in more general terms. But again, that was sure. that, you know, the intention of that program would have been top of mind awareness. Um, also, the idea that, um, you know, Thermo Fisher Scientific is more cutting edge and they're, they are driving some of the um, innovation and new things and by, by offering something like this, hopefully that helps reinforce that innovative part of the brand and helps build that um, part of the brand filter. But yeah, I would give it an A plus <laughs> for, for, it, for communicating innovative brand. Yeah, yeah. We did something similar when I worked at Varian. I, I, I don't know if anybody out there listening ever saw the Varian experience, but one year we decided not to go to PitCon and we decided to do a completely online event where we were going to feature all our application notes and we made this little contextual navigation digital world that had some beautiful art in it that would kind of, and then it would have little cues to click on different icons or whatever that would pop up relevant application notes yeah um, and the whole intent there was to say hey we're this is different for varian which was pretty straight up although i had a boss like yours who was very good at saying yeah let's try that thing so that was great yeah um, and then and we got some great feedback and then we got some people who just said you know this is good for a 12 year old gamer but you know if you don't get <laughs> stuff like that you're not really pushing the edge so I took you know, that as a plus. That's that's really a good point. When you there are generational differences, and there is a shift in the way that customers in uh, the laboratory are 
that they wanted to be marketed to. You know, content marketing is absolutely wonderful. And there's so many ways to get that information now. But you do have to take these chances as, as these younger people, millennials are becoming decision makers in the laboratory. They want to be marketed to in a, in a different way. Um, I know I listened to the uh, podcast you did with, uh, with Harisi, um, Smart Zadu? Smart to do, yeah. Smart to do, I got it right. Um, well, she was talking about how they are they recognize this shift in the way that consumers are purchasing and the way that they are making these decisions, and where it was always kind of like a highly high involvement decision when you were thinking about laboratory equipment and consumables, and very um, high thinking. It took a lot of thinking. Well, these like the the basic uh, foot cone and belding model. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the four quadrants um, for uh, high involvement, low involvement, um, decision-making, and then high thinking, high feeling. Um, things are moving from that where consumables and uh, all of those were kind of commodity items where everything was very uh, literal. You had very utilitarian description of what all of these things do. But the millennials are kind of pushing things more in a feeling direction where they want to know the backstory. They want to know, um, they want to know that they're that they kind of are unique in what they do, and that's part of their, their the, the companies are purchasing from recognize their tribe and recognizing what makes them unique. And what's cool about people in the laboratory is they embrace the concept of being a nerd and being you know nerdy, yeah, which is a really cool thing to attach yourself to, and it makes. Uh, you know, it makes customers feel special. And that's that good feeling is what's going to drive your products to the top of that consideration list when it comes time for them to make a decision on what, what they're going to purchase. Um, so it's a really exciting time to be in marketing right now because that opens a whole world of creativity for those of us in business-to-business -business marketing that, uh, that we hadn't had before. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's another great point. Um, I love that, and I love how you tied that together because this was, we did promise at the beginning we were going to talk about lead generation and understanding customers, so we've covered that. I want to go back to your failed campaign, not to hammer on that, but to point out the lessons there. So first of all, one, you tested the thing, which yes. a lot of people don't do. Two, that your boss and you all sit down and take some time at the end of the year to look at the campaigns that didn't work and learn from them. I, I think that process is hugely valuable and probably doesn't happen in very many places um, to not only celebrate the campaigns that were successful but to look at the ones that weren't and just go hey what happened why was that because it's not just it's not about pointing fingers or anything it's about all right we learned something there that was too specific great art wrong target or wrong concept what how could we do it differently the next time so um yeah, and from a from a, um, a team perspective or an employee perspective, it also gives you that confidence that to try new things and to break out of the the, um, the barriers or the box that were kind of put in, um, with the confidence that your boss is going to or your superiors are are still going to recognize your efforts as being a positive, even if it's not uh, doesn't reach its goal goal its intended goal from a marketing perspective that it still has value as a learning experience. 
yeah, we know now not what not to do. And, and again, only part of it was the reason. Like there are right. many aspects of that thing that could have taken off in the right context. So, you know, maybe just a refinement of, of the idea of what you would put on a poster like that. Because again, that poster was beautiful and different from any other science poster I've ever seen. I've seen posters of, you know, that are collages of images and so on that are cool. Um, they have a lot of information in them. This one wasn't intense on any textual information. In fact, that was pretty minimal. Um, but you could, but it was intense in visual information <laughs> and, and very striking. So if you had the right concept of the, what the image was, I think a lot of people would hang it um, in, their, in their cubicles for sure. <laughs> right, right. And there is a copy of that on my website if anybody wants to, to check it out. But I think you're right. I think if it were more generalized and not truncated forms of Odorferlin rescue balance <laughs> and hearing defects from Odorferlin deficiency in zebrafish. It's like, in retrospect, you look at that and you're like, yeah, I should not have done that. <laughs> <laughs> so you bring up a good point. Where... Um... I will, of course, put a link to your website in the show notes, but um, what is that URL that people can find you? Sure, yeah. Uh, it is uh, All Good Marketing, A-L-L-G-O-O-D-M-K-T-G. -O -O Marketing is abbreviated, allgoodmarketing.com. And uh, here in beautiful Akron, Ohio, where the blimp is actually, the Goodyear blimp is actually flying overhead today. I saw it on my drive back from uh, Kent State this morning. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's a great way to wrap up because when I was a little kid living in Akron or near Akron, I used to be get so excited um, <laughs> to walk. You could hear the hum and you'd walk outside and look up. And, of course, Goodyear lit, lit up on the side of the blimp. Yeah. Not something good, you see every day. Right. It's a good place to live. It is. All right. Chris Barnett, thank you so much. This has been really educational. It's been a fun restart to the podcast. I hope people enjoy this. Um, yeah, if you need some help with your marketing and want some creative art, definitely reach out to to Chris here because he's got some good ideas and uh, very imaginative, as you can tell. <laughs> right. Well, thank you, Chris. It's a real honor to be a guest on your show. Uh, I really enjoy the podcast. Um, I know many of the people that I worked with at uh, Thermo Fisher are fans. So shout out to all my all of my friends there. And uh, thank you again. You're welcome. My pleasure. I just finished editing this episode. What a fun conversation to get back into it. Chris made so many good points about out-of-the-box thinking, taking risks, reviewing successes and failures, and most importantly, understanding your customers. You know what never came up in that whole conversation? Specs about microscopes or dyes, ease of use, etc. Both campaigns were based entirely on understanding the customer's view of themselves as scientists. So, first of all, thank you all for coming back after the long hiatus. And second, as always, if you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your colleagues. I've got a number of good episodes I'll be recording in the next couple of weeks. And of course, if there's someone you think would be a great guest on the podcast, please let me know. Finally, 
you might be interested in my newest production in collaboration with Mary Kennedy of the San Diego Biotech Network, the SDBN Buzz podcast, where I'm interviewing scientists, entrepreneurs, and other movers and shakers in that community. And sponsorships are available, so check it out at sdbn.org slash buzz. Until next time, have a great couple of weeks. Bye-bye.